Welcome to the Sex and Humans podcast, episode nine. Today, we're talking with Max Landis, who is a writer, producer, comic creator, and YouTube storyteller at the highest levels of Hollywood. Welcome to episode nine, Trusting the Journey, thank you, Max. So, Max, you're so welcome, and, and thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your point of view and your perspective. Your perspective and point of view is extremely unique, regardless of other writers and other creators you know you've experienced hollywood and life from an extremely unique point of view of being both you know hollywood yeah never son, baby of, of someone that that was also well you know i mean that that's maybe a, a derogatory form but you know nonetheless like you were you were in this industry since you were born and 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 brought through it and were successful and talented and then your masculine journey was challenged in a lot of ways. And, and that's really what we're here to talk about. You know, and the rest of it are details to our story, but which inform your point of view. But, you know, I'm really, really interested in what experiences forced you to redefine your own masculinity? I mean, I, I've had throughout my life, I think there have been three big ones that not just challenged my masculinity, but challenged kind of my identity. Um, and the first one, mm -hmm. one of the, the first big realizations came in like 2012, around the time I was like in my mid twenties, when I, you know, I've never thought of myself as a masculine man, even though I am a man, I, I'm sort of effeminate. I'm a little eccentric. I'm a little mannered in a strange way. People often think I'm gay. I've never thought of myself as a masculine man, but around 2012, 2013, I had to look at my patterns with women and with sex in relationships. And for the first time, I was kind of challenged with the idea that I was a, you know, a shitty cheater fuckboy who would pursue women uh, that, you know, mm -hmm. pursue them. And then when they were interested in me, I would lose interest once you know, the conquest nature of it, but I had never thought of it that way. In my mind, I was this, because I'm a very sensitive guy and I'm emotionally, I've had a history of like mental illness and stuff like that. I always thought of myself and, and had deluded myself in a lot of ways into believing that I was this sensitive, compassionate guy who, you know, just happened to fuck a lot. And that it, the the scale of how much pursuing girls in both college and pursuing sex in college. And once I became a successful screenwriter in LA, recognizing that and wanting something more and not wanting to be perceived that way, ironically, was like the first step. And then around 2015, 2016, I, I had after that first big realization, uh, I had gotten into a relationship with one of my best friends and in that relationship, I had been unfaithful, dishonest. You can't really have abuse without a, a power dynamic. Like that girl could have, that woman could have left me at mm -hmm. any point. Um, and I wasn't like saying like, you're an idiot, you're worthless. I just disregard not thinking about someone else's feelings, how my actions would affect them to a degree that was like terrible and, and permanently hurtful. And that person left my life permanently. And I kind of realized, ooh, that was my fault. 
And again, I'm, I'm in a, a situation I thought I'd grown. Uh, but again, I found myself in a situation where my masculinity and my desire for selfishly sex and to sort of be able to do whatever I wanted as a man had again cost me something very, 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 very dear to me. And so I had this big awakening and I did the Hoffman process and I did, uh, I got into very heavy therapy and I got on new meds, except then what you were kind of hinting at, uh, in 2019, I went through a, a breakup and as a consequence of that breakup, that person organizes a different person, uh, who I have very little ultimately sympathy for. And I maybe shouldn't say that, but I really don't like this person. And I didn't like the way she treated me while we were together. But I was also in a very retreated male state when we were together and sort of relied totally on her validation for everything because I was like, oh, I've been such a bad guy. And she really, she was not the person to trust with those feelings um, in a really intense way. And mm -hmm. uh, I started to get messages from women I'd slept with. And they were saying, why is your ex-girlfriend trying to contact me? And eventually a collection of strangers, people I'd, one person I'd been in a relationship with, and then tangentially uh, a few women I'd had bad interactions with, negative interactions with in various ways, uh, I got canceled. I got me too'd. Um, normally a cancellation comes from uh, sort of a, a downhill momentum of like, this guy's assaulting a lot of women, or this guy's using his power to prey on women. Mine is different than that because mine is clearly very personal and none of the stories involve power dynamics. They're all the, the key one is from a relationship in which I was horrible. Uh, but she accuses me of all manner of things within the relationship up to and including rape. Um, which was very hard for me to wrap my head around. So again, uh, because those are not my memories of that relationship. Those are not what the digital record shows from that relationship. That was a person who I had many long conversations with about how awful I'd been in the relationship over the course of seven years. Also, none of my allegations were recent to the, uh, to the shaming, but that of course, you know, I internalized that completely on me because of where I was in my life. So I was like, am I this guy? Like clearly this collection of the headline was eight, but really there's only three accusations that involve anything sexual and only one that involves uh, consent, really. The rest are just like, this guy's a huge prick and I felt uncomfortable in 2013 or something like that. Um, but I had to take it seriously and I took it deadly serious. It was over most people in that situation. And I'm not patting myself on the back here, but most people in that situation make a statement or a denial or try to sue or they make a public apology. I didn't do any of that because for me, as someone who had already experienced a big disruption in my self-image and my identity and my concept of, of who I was, I was like, I was Manchurian candidate. I was Norton at the end of Fight Club. I was ready to accept anything anyone told me about me. And I, I, I was tremendously lucky and blessed that my core group of close friends stayed close to me. My family backed me up. Um, 
And, and from there, I was able to sort of build into the masculinity that I have now. But even the masculinity that I have now, this is now almost five years ago, the masculinity even that I have now is built around that, is built in a large way around fear of being perceived as a, if not dangerous figure, as a repellent and loathsome one. So, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, those three big incidents sort of realizing, damn, women are mad at me all the time for shit I do. Then realizing, wow, uh, the way I've treated women in my life has led to me losing my best friend and someone I thought was the love of my life. And then thirdly, wow, the way I've interacted with women and the women I've chosen to interact with over my life has led to a public shaming in which hundreds of thousands of people call me a rapist. My career is destroyed. I experience public betrayals. Someone, people have assaulted me in public. Someone tried to murder me and was arrested by the LAPD. It became this whole, my masculinity became this whole saga separate from me that I am now sort of the arbiter of, the curator of. Is that a, is that a, is that a comprehensive answer you think? Yeah. I think so. And I want to go back to 2012. I want to go back to that time where you understood masculinity as a certain kind of concept but because you presented or felt in a in a very specific way you aligned being a misogynist or being uh, abusive with looking like a certain type of man or presenting as a certain type of man. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. These are like asking. And because you weren't those things, it sounds like you were able to pursue your life with an almost freedom from the reality of the consequences of your actions, because clearly you are not that guy. You know, you don't pump weights and, watch NASCAR and smoke beer and smoke cigarettes. So it's just like, it's like, I'm not that guy. I'm like the sensitive writer. Yeah. I'm a nerd. Like I I can't be a month. I, you know, I can't do that. I can't. My, my conception. So how has your idea of masculinity changed? It doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) I, uh, it's been, it's been, you know, masculinity now exists in all men and in women. And my idea of, the type of guy I didn't want to be. You're so right. Uh, what it was impossible for me even to understand that I was that guy. Cause I, you know, I'm, I am this nerdy dorky guy who's always grew up in special ed and was always kind of left of the popular crowd. Even when I was very successful in the industry, I didn't really hang around with uh, my peers. I felt like an outsider to them. I often felt like a weirdo and a freak around other young screenwriters and directors. Um, There was an element of uh, professional jealousy with a lot of other screenwriters and also fans. But also, I was so, at that point, free of my masculinity, although this was part of it, I was so big and obnoxious that I made enemies honestly. And that, that 2012 turn was, and this is without, this is without, I'm not boasting here. And I feel like I can talk candidly with you um, because we've known each other for a while. I had a lot of options in terms of women 
And because I was a very successful screenwriter in LA and I was hanging out with a weird crowd of people who, who thought I was really cool, uh, which was a minority that I had gathered around myself. But those options, the fact that in college I had sort of thought of myself as a geek and a nerd, but now that it was very clear that I could date a number of different people, I began to notice the pattern of, wow, I really am just having sex and then not answering calls and ghosting women and doing all this stuff, all the stuff I've heard bad men do. Me and my girlfriend are in another crying, screaming, yelling fight uh, where she won't leave the house and and I want her to leave. And then we yell and we fight and then she won't leave. And then we end up having sex and then we're dating again for two weeks until the next crazy fight. It was just the most basic it was too much for me to deny that it was happening. Do you see what I'm saying? I was, I was. I do. So do you think, so do you think that, that, that version of masculinity, because I, I think you represent in, in a very public, but a very, in a very uh, large scale, kind of what's happening in, in a big part of our culture. And it's this idea that, "Quote unquote toxic masculinity," and I hate that word, but it is definitive specifically, right? Like negative influence from you know a masculine mm-hmm. power dynamic, whether that's in males or females, but right is limited to an aesthetic. It's limited to a version of a man that if you aren't, you aren't. The problem is, is that it's giving a pass to all of these men that don't represent themselves aesthetically or, or, you know, with their hobbies in a very specific way. So they're like, I can't be this. And now we've run into this problem where a lot of men are facing the consequences of actions that they weren't even aware that they were capable of because they don't look this way, right? Like I'm an accountant. Self-image and identity. Self-image and identity now more than ever across masculinity, femininity, gender roles, even, even our relationship to our internet identity is as fractured as it's ever been. There are more voices telling you who you are and who Mm. you aren't uh, both covertly and overtly than there have ever been in human history by magnitudes. So our whole concept of what a normal person is, what normal masculinity is, is what even what broad spectrum like average masculinity is, forget normal, is so fractured now and insane. And when I look at my situation specifically, I see two different things, which is I see my experience of my life and all my real life uh, experiences, things I feel I've done wrong, regrets, ways I've treated people, uh, decisions I've made that in hindsight uh, seem insane to me. Um, That is now for me uh, radically, like you said, more than most people juxtaposed with the image of me online as this psycho, sociopath, abuser, narcissist, sexual predator guy 
that I've never experienced being. So it, it, it took years to, to untangle who the internet and people who hated me were telling me I was with my real life things that I had to address in real life, not just when I went online, not just when I was going on, you know, my, my shaming had no legal or civil component. So it became about figuring it out for myself. And I think a lot of people are doing that at a much smaller scale, figuring out the difference between their real selves and their online selves. Certainly yeah, less, less publicly. publicly. My God. Right. Like certainly, certainly less publicly. Right. Which is hopefully easier, but nonetheless, it's, it's very difficult for people. So, you know, I have a lot of empathy for potentially you know, what you went through because every move you made was categorized and and displayed so you weren't allowed to make mistakes or you weren't allowed to say you were sorry to like five people and then like four of them were like yeah man i get it and then one of them was like well, yeah, i didn't I have care. any opportunity you know, I... every time you said yeah every time you said sorry like a hundred thousand people had an yeah. opinion so that that's why i think this is interesting you know when so do you trust yourself yet? Do you trust, you know, in your in your ability to move through the world as a masculine? And the second part to that question is, and maybe answerable first, what is masculinity to you? What is I mean, masculinity has become so personal. Do I trust myself? I would say in terms of consent, yes, I trust myself absolutely. In terms of Making the ego choice, making the conquest choice, I would say I trust myself 85%. Masculinity to me is moving with decisive action to take to, to get the things you want, is more rock, less talk, is existing in a way that is big in the world. I think femininity generally, these are such generalizations, involves existing in a way that's soft and giving and uh, reactive, whereas masculinity as currently conceived by me, and these are just mine, these aren't wider statements on gender, but masculinity is existing in a way that's hard and proactive and um, takes up space. Um, and it's funny because now I get scared to do that. I get scared if I'm too masculine, I'll be perceived as the guy so I, it's a balancing act. I agree. It is a balancing act. I think all of us have, as, as you alluded to earlier, you know, both inside of us and it's learning which one is most appropriate to sometimes to get what we want. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing or, you know, a, a negative to say, what do I want and how do I go get it? It's when the consequences to others and or to ourselves aren't considered just for the conquest of the what you want is when it starts to get in trouble. Chasing. Yeah. Chasing yeah. Where it's like, Hey, so I've got to kind of hurt this person or hurt myself in order to get what I want, but oh, I want it so badly. You know, that's, I think that if, if, if I were to define toxic again, and I, I, I kind of hate that word, that's what I would say it is. It is the pursuit of your desires or your goals without any 
consideration of the consequences to yourself or others. It's also not, it's also about looking at, so often when we take action uh, towards things we want, and when I say we, I mean the general we, but really I mean me, and maybe maybe you relate to this, but so often yeah. when I'm in pursuit of the things I want, there will be, I will forget to double check why I want this thing. And, and Ooh, yeah, and one. forget, forget to why? investigate why I'm doing what I'm doing. And oftentimes I will, when you think of it that way, you'll make a decision that you know is stupid and you'll, you'll do it anyway. We've all done that where you'll be like, oh, this, this relationship isn't going to work out or, oh, this friend isn't really trustworthy or, oh, this isn't going to be fun or this will end badly. And then you do it anyway. And I think the reason, the reason people do that is a lack of investigation of their own why. I think that's very well said. Um, so when you do investigate your why, what does that look like for you? I mean, I have. You're doing the right thing. I have uh, generally the way my investigating my why works is I'm a person with a mood disorder. Um, I've had real trouble with mental health in my life. I've talked about this extensively elsewhere. We don't need to get into it here, but I have cyclothymia, which is a uh, a rapid cycling form of hypo bipolar. So I have very intense, uh, I struggle with them less now because I'm well med medicated and I've done a tremendous amount of now 12 years of therapy targeted to try to control these, but I get into head spaces. My why, my investigating my why is anytime I feel something really intensely now, I don't trust it. If I feel like I need to talk to that person right now, or I need to do this right now, or this is the worst it's ever been, I go, okay, you need an hour. You need a literal hour. Maybe you should smoke a joint. Maybe you should think about this later today. And that has done just stopping the plane on the runway um, has done so much for me because I used to take up so much space. If I was having a bad day, I would text my girlfriend 600 times in a row about how everything's hopeless and nobody likes me and just shit you'd never want to hear from your significant other. And then by the time she'd see the text and get out of work, I'd feel fine. And so she'd have gone on this crazy right. roller coaster and then she hits me up and she's like, Max, you know, this and that. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? I'm out for a run. And so investigating my whys in that way has fundamentally changed my life. Um, and that's generally how I do it. Also, if I have any, if anything feels risky to me, I tend to ripcord. If someone, if someone gives me one red flag, because I'm already, I walk around impaled on a flagpole, you know? Like if I explain what I do for a living, I have to, that means I have to explain who I am. And by explaining who I am, I am opening everyone I meet to an internet ecosystem that thinks of me as like the American psycho Christian Bale, like the dork version, like the worst guy ever. So, so often, I am frightened 
to even take any risk with getting to know someone. If they seem like one thing's weird, I don't need another voice on Twitter. I don't need I don't need someone to have a bad interaction with me ever again. So that's what it looks like. Sorry, there's a long winded answer. But you're yeah, a creator. So I'm fucked. Uh, you, 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 you. I'm fucked. <laughs> if I, my, so you create content. My, my platform is my, my, my platforms by which I would put out my art are the same ones where every time people remember I exist, they come to harass me. So it's really, it's weird, man. It's a bad situation to be in. But you continue oh, yeah, to make of course. it. They can't stop me. I'll never stop. I was doing this when I was a special ed kid. I love making art and telling stories. So what is that? So it obviously means something to you, right? The, the, the creation of that art obviously delivers something to you that you cannot give up, despite the fact that you've created almost like a, a cycle of uh, art to harassment, to art, to harassment, to art, to harassment, but you you can't break that cycle in hopes that at some point people will stop harassing you for your art, but stopping your art not is not an option. I, you know, so how does that, how does, how does that, how is that, how is that it rationalized came for up you? To me that I would stop creating, um, it, in multiple reasons. Now the, the most real and the one that I hold on to the deepest is that, you know, I'm an artist. So we, we are constantly creating things outside of ourselves to show something to others that gets validation of us. Because most artists internalize validation of their art as positive validation of their whole selves. And it's one of the reasons artists are often so addicted to creating art is because that is the way we internalize praise, we internalize love. The love language is through the creation of art, my love language is through the telling of stories and, and, and watching people be entertained or moved or stuff like that. That is food to me. That is oxygen. That is air. There's never been a point in my life where I didn't want to do that. I have only ever wanted to do one thing since I was a little, little kid. And because my dad was a director and writer, it felt real to me. It didn't feel like a far away, distant dream. But then I went through all this shit. I got kicked out of high school, all this crazy shit, horrible, sad, weird uh, stuff from me being mentally ill. And uh, <clears throat> But then when I got back and I became successful, there's zero. I mean, even when I was miserable, you can find shit on my YouTube from like freshman year of college where I gather people together and make a, a thing. And it's not Nolan. It's not Wes Anderson, but it is a guy who clearly really loves it. And now, like you said, I'm in a cycle. And now the thing that I'm able to hold on to is it's not me. The, the person who is insulted online, who is hated, who is a monster, if I ever was a guy approaching that guy, it was more than 10 years ago, and I still wasn't him. So... I can forever languish in the idea that there are people in this world who hate me or that I've wronged terribly, but those are no longer the people who harass me. The people who harass me are psycho strangers with social media accounts 
who do all sorts of bizarre shit. They'll say they'll sometimes they'll be anti-Semitic. And every time they all have no true awareness of the extent of each other. So each of them exists in like a separate matrix where they're one of 50 people who hates Max Landis instead of one of 50,000. So, you know, someone will be like, you know, you kike, we're going to kill your mom. And then uh, next to that, it'll be like, I used to be a big fan of your work. And I, the way you, you have apologized many times, but you have never publicly admitted to sexual assault and rape. And therefore, all of these apologies are meaningless, which is bonkers and insane, but is a totally different type of person than you, Kike, we're going to kill your mom. So I, I look at these two people and I think neither of what you want are reasonable. I'm going to keep making art. I can't help either of you. This is coming from somewhere inside you. You want me to publicly admit to crimes I'm not not legally accused of and didn't actually do. Sorry, you'll never get it. You want to kill me? Someone tried. Sorry, I'm still making videos. So so with, with that in mind, right, with, while you continue to make art as an artist and, and I, I, I have you know, was it was in LA. And so I define an artist as someone who has something to say and a performer just needs to be seen. Right. So what is it that you're trying to say? Oh my God. I've always been trying to say the same thing. I, even before I, you know, I wrote a movie called Chronicle, which is all about teen boy masculinity. All of my, my most successful things are all about friendship are all about love, friendship, and being emotionally vulnerable. And the idea that being emotionally vulnerable ultimately will get you more than being selfish and, and cruel and reactive and instinctual. Being vulnerable and thoughtful will take you to the better places in life that you want to go. Like truly, in a real way, unless you are deluding yourself, so many of the worst people you meet, the shittiest people you meet, some of them seem like they're doing great, but at the end of the day, you get to know them well enough and you realize they're really unhappy. And so many of the nicest people I know and the kindest and gentlest people I know experience truer, higher levels of engagement with other human beings, uh, being proactive and positive in their lives. These are things that I really like and that, that felt alien to me when I was a emotionally unstable teen and uh, emotionally unstable adult. The, these uh, venues of experience wherein an authentic connection is made between people, that is what I want to do in my art. I want to portray the travails we go to to get to the nicer parts of life and the things we find in each other. And that's everything I've done that's a, a success. And really the stuff I've done that's failures are all about kindness and how staying true to yourself and true to your friends and opening your mind to things instead of closing it will serve you well. It's very Saturday morning cartoon at the end of the day. A lot of my morality and my work. <laughs> So how does the guy that believes that so much end up the guy that couldn't see that he wasn't behaving in that way 
for for a while. So, s- s- ugh. Uh, selfishness, arrogance, um, healthy dose of emotional instability, um, healthy dose of people compromising themselves for me, which is a really dangerous thing for a man who's been accused of the things I've been accused of to say, but it's true. So back in 2012, back in 2012, you said uh, you didn't consider yourself to be very masculine. Do you consider yourself to be masculine now? I, I am. I, I, I'm an extremely masculine guy, uh, which is a funny thing for a man with a lisp to say maybe in a pink shirt. But I think in positive and negative ways, you know, I'm still comparing myself to other guys at the gym. I'm still I went to the I went to an orgy, as you may or may not know. And there I was looking at other men and comparing myself to them. And and. thinking of the women there in terms of like a hierarchical rating system and all the things men do. And I, I still catch myself doing that. I work out more than ever. I consider the more stereotypical masculine values more than I ever have in my life. I even have a beard now like you, which is the proof that I'm a man. Um, (laughs) you know, I, 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 that's really true is like, I am now, more conscious of my masculinity and more mainline with my masculinity than I've ever been. And you think that is a result of your experience in 2016 and 2012 and 2019 was just a potentially just a backlash. 2019 was yeah. reaction and, and experience. 20, 2019. But the lesson had yeah. already been learned. This the consequences came, which is infuriating because so one of the things that's very surreal for people in my life is that I underwent this huge personal change that a lot of my friends commented on because I was so sick of repeating the same fights with people and repeating the same losses. And then I got canceled. And I think the reason I've been able to maintain sort of a nucleus of the people around me. And I'm so lucky is a lot of the people were there for that journey because it is these big turning points, but it's also a million little experiences along the way. And it's growing into being a man. You know, when, when people talk about being a man, I think of it as being able to take accountability to myself, forget any, anyone else. It's being able to sort of, you know, this is a ship. This voyage I'm on is my life and I'm the captain. And as 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 often as we allow ourselves to feel like passengers, uh, even while making decisions, we are the captains of our lives. And I say that for women, too. And we are accountable to our own choices. We are accountable to uh, changing our own patterns. And I think not much else. Um, and uh, I think, yeah. Now I'm a man more so than I've ever been before, but maybe I always was. I don't know. Maybe not in a good way before. Well, you know, Max, I think that's, that's a great way to wrap up, you know, that, that, that call to action to be, you know, the captain of your own ship. And, and, but at the same time, trust the journey that you 
will get to where you want to go without having to be so controlling, right? Without having to say, you know, for example, you know, you, you continue to put art out into the world, whether it's received or not in the way that you would like is irrelevant. But at some point I would argue over time by not putting that art out into the world. And that, that can probably be translated to anybody listening to whatever it is that they do that, you know, cultivates a supportive growth with other human beings, men or women, by not putting that out into the world, there will come a time where you will objectively, not just subjectively, recognize your life is so much better for it. By not putting out art? I hope. And I, no, 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 no. By oh, putting yeah. art out into the world. Right. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by putting it out into the world, your life is so much better for it in hindsight, right? Whereas if, even if now you don't see the kind of reaction and, or, you know, applause that you would hope for, or the, the recognition of what it is you have to say in time. And I think that's part of trusting this masculine journey, you know, and, and going on and saying, I'm going to take action and be the captain of my own ship. If I'm going to drive it in a direction that, I'm not really sure where I'm going to end yeah, up, you have to, but I know that right now I need to stay. You have to let your experiences shape you, but stay true to what exists as the primal spark inside you. You know, so many people go through life um, uninvestigated and they investigate themselves only in ways they've seen characters do it in movies or they've seen they've they, or mm -hmm. they've seen in fiction or in songs they can identify emotions and most of the like true narcissists i've met um and i grew up in la they are people whose level of investigation into their own culpability and their own agency is zero <laughs> And what's so funny you talk about trusting the journey is if there's one thing I've learned, it's that your culpability is never zero. Almost your, your, your role in your life, you trust the journey in as much as the winds and the seas, but you're the one who has to build the boat. So like, it, you know, if you go mm. out there in a fucking pool inflatable and then you're halfway across the ocean, you're like, gosh, it seems like this plastic is getting hot and this thing is slowly deflating. I know people who stay on the deflating pool inflatable without ever acknowledging it was a bad call till their 50s and then it's game over. So like 50s and 60s, you crystallize. Um, sorry, that's just a little rant at mm -hmm. the end. That's all right. I, I mean... I appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much. I think that's, I think it's just good words for people to, to trust where they're going. But the first thing you have to start asking about who you are, you, you have to start investigating what it is that you want and is what you want a, a, a positive thing or is it just ego? And that's part of the why. So I, I think your journey has been really, um, really profound and, and, and highlighted, right? It, it's, it's, it's been a little bit larger than life, so to speak. But, oh yeah. You, know, you want to know the weirdest welcome thing? Welcome to Hollywood. 
the thing that will always fuck hmm. with me. When I went through the thing in 2018, 2019, before 2016, 27, that, that journey, before the shaming, the people in the shaming are not the people in my life I feel I've hurt the most. They are, and this hit me like last year, they are just a collection of the people who would most willingly participate in a public shaming and be most excited to participate in something like that. So I've had to really, the public aspect of it, the giant sort of mythical legendary aspect of it, and the apologies I really have to make in my life, they're connected, but they're two different worlds. So like, like you said, trying to like match up this public aspect of the journey with the private aspect has been very surreal. Thank you for having me on, John. Thank you for listening to the Sex and Humans podcast. My name is John David Whalen, powered by Riverside FM, edited with Autopod.